All right, good morning. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew's Gospel. We're going to be looking at uh, chapter 3. We've been spending some time in chapter 3, and I think today we're going to be spending a little more time, and either today or next week we'll finish chapter 3. And it may seem like a long time to spend in a chapter, but there's a lot of things in this chapter. Remember last week we looked at the Uh, The ministry of John the Baptist, him being the herald of Jesus Christ, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And and today we look at uh, some interesting things here in the chapter, specifically in verses 11 and 12 and uh, 13 through the end of the chapter in verse 17. We look at the idea of baptism and certainly the baptism of Jesus but also the doctrine of baptism. And while we're here, I want to spend some time on this because there is uh, some confusion with some about baptism. And so as we look at this, we want to make sure that we understand what baptism is and what it isn't and, and the different things that the Bible has to say about baptism. Because doctrine is important. Doctrine meaning the teaching that we read in the Bible. The things that we read in the Bible, doctrine is very important today because doctrine affects the way we live, doesn't it? If, we, if our understanding of something is really off-kilter, then our, our understanding and our application of that is going to be off-kilter as well. well. So it's important for us to understand the doctrine of baptism, what it is, what it isn't. And we looked into this uh, somewhat last week, but I want to review it and spend a little more time on it today. Um, And we'll probably just be looking at mainly verses 11 and 12. We might not even get into the baptism of Jesus. I know your bulletin or the e-bulletin says the baptism of Jesus, but we may only get into just speaking of the doctrine of baptism. Uh, Again, it's important for us to understand that. And the Bible mentions that there are four different types types of baptism, and arguably there may only be uh, three Uh, You'll notice the first one is the baptism of John the Baptist, whom we affirmed last week and will affirm it again today, is a baptism of repentance. We'll also look at Christian baptism, Christian water baptism. It's also referred to as the baptism into Christ. They're really synonymous. And then the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which we will look at as well. And then finally, the baptism of fire. And that's not the one that we want to talk about too much, but it's nonetheless, we, we need to discuss it. That one is not for believers, but the other three are. Now, arguably, uh, the second and third item on our list here, the Christian water baptism or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, may be one and the same. I mean, they're two separate things, but we really kind of combine them. You'll see that in the scripture too, that... There seems to be a a melding of those two together, okay? But we can very clearly see the differences between the two as we get along into uh, the Scripture. So let's look at chapter uh, 3, beginning in verse 1. I just want to clear up a few things as we... Let's read through the first 10 verses, and we're going to stop here and there along the way, and then we'll get right into the portion that we're going to look at today, mainly verses 11 and 12. But look at verse 1 again. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And you may want to ask yourself the question, and this is a good way to to understand the Bible, is to ask questions of it. Say, what days are you referring to? 
Well, the Bible gives us the answer. Remember, the Gospels are uh, an event, uh, four different accounts of the life and the ministry of Jesus. They each have their specific vantage points, um, but when you put them all together, and I would encourage you, as you read the Gospels, read the other Gospels as well, and there are really great chronologies um, uh, to put all of these together. Um, You might call it a harmony of the Gospels. You may have heard that phrase. Well, that's exactly what it is. It's putting into an account, in a chronological account, the different events of of the Gospels, of the four Gospel accounts. And and that has been done, and and it's a really great way to look at things. But in those days, uh, Luke, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, he gives us what these days are referring to, and he tells us right in verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, Now in the 15th year of... Uh, the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and the region of Trachonitis, uh, Trachonitis excuse me, and Lysanias, a tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. John, the son of uh, uh, the Zacharias. So, we find what these days are referring to. And I, and I love that the Bible gives us this kind of information because uh, we can look back in secular history and, 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 and fit these things together and assign dates and times. And, and these things are helpful to us. And the Bible is spot on. It's a great history book, but it's not just a history book. It's a, it's a, it's a story of redemption. It's, a, it's God's plan, excuse me. I don't like the word story that much because that, uh, that infuses into us in our mind this idea of fiction. Uh, and you've got to get that out of your head. Even Sunday school um, people, you know, something to think about is to really consider the word story because uh, kids hear a lot of stories, but make sure they understand that what you're talking about, make sure you identify that this is not just a story. This is real history. Right? This is nonfiction. It's important for us to understand that. So notice, in the days, John the Baptist, and he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And remember, we looked at him being the herald of Jesus Christ. In fact, underline that word preaching, because in the Greek, the word is, is very significant. It's a Greek word, kiriso, and it literally means to herald. It's, it's a public crier, and we spent a great deal of time last week talking about that. But see, there's two different words in, 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 the, in the Greek, at least two, kiriso, and then there's evangelizo. And they're very different words. One is proclaiming and being a public crier, and the other one is evangelizo, and it's what we would think it would be, to evangelize, to share the gospel specifically, and that's what these two words mean. But this one here in verse 1, when he came preaching in the wilderness, he was heralding. That's literally what the word means. It's a Greek word called kariso. And, and again, evangelizo, uh, an example of that would be in Romans chapter 10, this other meaning of the word of preaching, which is evangelizo. And we see that in Romans 10 where it says, How then shall we call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, and here he's quoting um, uh, from the Old Testament, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach 
Underline, well, you don't have, you're not open to it, but if you had your Bible open to Romans 10, you'd want to underline that word because that's the word evangelizo. It's a very different type of word. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach what? The gospel of peace. Even the context of it tells you what the word means. It's to evangelize, to share the gospel. Do you follow? But John, when he preached, it was, he was the town crier, and that's exactly what he was. He was the forerunner, the herald of Jesus Christ. So going on to verse 2, and, and his, here's what he said. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Matthew quoting from Isaiah 40, verse 3. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Sounds like a pretty interesting character. A coat of, you know, of, of camel hair and a leather belt around his waist. Very prophet-like. He probably had his long hair and he's probably looked like he hadn't showered in days. Don't really know what he looked like, but he ate locusts. They're serving them in, in the service afterwards. Kitchen ministry had to go to the, find a, a bunch of locusts, so you guys are going to have locusts. But there'll be honey too, so it'll be easier going down. But notice, that's, this is, he really brought attention, and this message was very prophet-like because Jesus even said, of, all, of the men born among women, there was no greater prophet than John the Baptist. And what was his message? It was heralding the Messiah, Jesus. Preparing, if you will, handing off a bride, getting people ready to think about repentance because as they would repent and be baptized in this baptism of repentance, they, he would be preparing them for his cousin Jesus to com- continue the work But notice that then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan, they went out to him and notice and were baptized by him in the Jordan confessing their sins. And and other than verse 1, which mentions John's title, if you will, John the Baptist, this is the first mention of the word baptism in the Bible. Uh, And it literally means to, baptizmo is to be submerged, to be immersed and that's the idea of, of this phrase. And so John was called the Baptist because he performed baptisms. It wasn't his last name. You know, you didn't see on his mailbox out front, John the Baptist. That was his title, the baptizer, because that's what he did. But notice in verse 7, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, what a great way to introduce people or to greet them as they come out to hear what you have to say. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bring fruits worthy of repentance. And do not say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, notice verse 10, what he says here. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. And just picture that in your head. Guys especially, you got that axe and you laid it against the root of the tree. You're about to do something. It's imminent that you're going to fell that tree. You're going to take that tree down. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and notice, thrown into the fire. That speaks of judgment, does it not? 
And see, this is a good message for anyone who thinks that because of some right that they have gone through or because of their lineage or maybe their pedigree, maybe even their schooling, somehow that God has to accept them because of what they have done. And see, this is why John was so hard on the Pharisees and the scribes and those religious leaders. They claimed to know God and yet they misunderstood him. They uh, misinterpreted everything. And they were supposed to be shepherds, guarding and guiding the flock, but instead they were getting rich off of the flock, consuming the lambs. They were lambs or wolves in sheep's clothing, many of them. And they weren't doing what God wanted them to do. But they thought, because they were the creme de la creme of the religious you know, society in Jerusalem, that somehow, and especially because they were Jewish, that God had to accept them. So in other words, they had diplomatic immunity in their minds. We could do whatever we wanted, Because we're Jews, and after all, we are the the Sanhedrin. We're the Pharisees and the Sadducees, so therefore God has to accept us. Because after all, we work for him. Right? And John had a very stern message for them. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And see, even in the Calvary Chapel movement, you know, we have a reputation of teaching the word line upon line, chapter by chapter, book by book. And don't think because you go to a Calvary Chapel that somehow you're right with God. Each one of us has to come to God on our own standing. We have to come to him and repent of our sin and receive him into our life, whether you go to a Calvary Chapel or not. There are many Calvary Chapels with people in them that have not done that. They maybe even have gone for years and they're still stubborn and they're still resting in their own works and they're, they're, they're unconverted. I'm not saying that anyone here is that. I hope, hope that hopefully all of you know Jesus. But there are people who come every week in churches all over America, even Calvary chapels, and they will not submit their heart to Christ. They're still holding on to some sin issue and they won't give it up. But see, that doesn't make us immune to repentance and good works. No, we ought to, because now we're accountable, because we are well taught in these churches and Calvaries. It's one of the reasons I came. I was taught. Every time I stepped foot in this building for close to 27 years now, I was getting fed I was being encouraged in my walk with Jesus Christ. In fact, having been under Pastor Jeff for just a few years, you know more than most Christians in America. You've been exposed to and have been taught more than the average person in America, vast majority of them. Because the word of God is not being taught. So was doctrine important? I think it is. But we can't get to heaven because we go to a church that teaches the word of God. It has to be a personal walk. It has to be a personal decision. It has to be a personal devotion and a personal faith in Christ. You can't ride in on the coattails of anyone. Children, if you've got parents and you're here with them and, and they're walking with the Lord, that doesn't mean you're automatically ushered in. When you, as you get older, you become accountable. You need to come to Christ yourself. There is nothing. Everything is laid, cro- laid bare Excuse me, at the cross. What does it tell us in Romans? There is no partiality with God. There's no respect of persons with him. That means he's not partial to one group over another. Yes, even Calvary chapels. Because the Jews thought they would all go to heaven, especially the religious Jews. And John is saying, you guys are going to go straight to hell unless you repent. And that is the message for all of us today, if we're playing games with the Lord. 
That's true. But John speaks of this idea of baptism. Notice verse 11. He says, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals, notice, I am not even worthy to carry. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, to take his sandal off, to wash his feet. John would say, I'm not even worthy of that, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Notice that. It's interesting that he includes both of those. And we're going to look at that because there is a difference between John's baptism and Christian baptism. Remember, John, as he was living, he was still living in Old Testament times, even though he was living with Jesus. It's called the New Testament because when Christ died on the cross, his testament became effective at his death. Do you follow me? So even while Jesus was alive, it was very Old Testament. It wasn't until he died that the Testament became effective. And that's why we call it the New Testament. But John preached a baptism of repentance. Remember, the forerunner, he's, he's come to lay the ground. He's come to prepare the way for Jesus. And what did it tell us in Mark's uh, gospel? It says, John came preaching, or baptizing, excuse me, in the wilderness and preaching what? A baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. What does Luke chapter 3 tell us? And he went all in the region around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. That's what John did. That was what he came to do. It was very different from when we baptize here. And we're going to look at the difference because this doctrine of baptism is good to understand because, again, there can be confusion. So there's the baptism of repentance which John baptized according to. And even in Acts chapter 19, we see the difference between John's baptism and Christian uh, baptism. Clearly, we see this in Paul's third missionary journey to Ephesus. Let me read it to you. This is Acts 19, verses 1 through 6. And it says, And it happened... While Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Well, into what then were you baptized? Now here the distinction is being drawn, and pay attention to this. Into what, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism, which we know as a baptism of repentance. And then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. So notice verse 5, it says this. So when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Baptismo. They, they, there was evidently water there. They baptized them. And then the very next verse says, notice, and when Paul had laid hands on them, a separate thing, he baptized them, and then afterwards he laid hands on them. And what does it tell us? The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So there's a difference between John's baptism, Christian baptism, 
Now, Christian baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you, you, can, you can think of them as one. For the, our purposes today, though, I'm going to separate them because they can happen um, at different times. And we'll look at that. But notice, so we looked at the baptism of repentance that John had preached and that he had done. But there is also a Christian water baptism. And this is something that Jesus commanded us to do. And it literally means to, the the word baptizo literally means to immerse or to submerge. Now, we don't want to get too dogmatic on this. I I, I personally believe that you can be baptized by just pouring a a, a pitcher of water over your head. There's nothing magical about the mode in which you do it. Um, but, but, but I believe that, and this is just my own conviction, and, and, and there are many people who differ, and, and it's okay, because this really doesn't matter. Remember when COVID was going full strength and we had, to, we had a baptism out here? So instead of baptizing everybody in a COVID-filled baptismal pool, or at least we thought, we just poured pitchers of water over the heads of the folks on the back here. Remember when we did that? That's valid. There's nothing wrong with that. But Christian baptism is something that Jesus commanded us to do either at our conversion or subsequent to our conversion. And it's a baptism based on the finished, and this is the difference, the finished redemptive work of Jesus Christ. That is the difference. A baptism of repentance for John. Now there's a Christian baptism where we're baptized into Jesus Christ and we're baptized into his finished work of redemption. That means his death and his resurrection and all that that signifies. That is what we were baptized into. We were baptized into Christ. We call it Christian water baptism, whatever you want to call it. Um, in fact, you know this. This was the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. That's a command. That's why I got baptized. I even got baptized twice. I got baptized by Pastor Jeff in the Lake Ontario, and I survived that, by the way. And they held me down a little extra just to make sure it took because I was a little rebellious. But then I actually wanted to get baptized in the Sea of Galilee. And I got baptized there too just because. Just so I could have bragging rights. Right? But Christian water baptism, notice, is symbolic for us of what Christ did on the cross in his death and what he did through his resurrection in giving us new life through the Holy Spirit who indwells us and ultimately coming upon us in subsequent feelings. In fact, in Romans, you remember, we looked a little bit this last week, but I want to review it because we're kind of putting it in order now, this Christian baptism. What exactly is it? Well, Romans tells us in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 6, it says, What shall we say then, Paul says to them? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Do you see the the picture that is painted there? When Jesus died, he literally was in the grave. 
But then on the third day, the Spirit of God re- restored, you know, renewed him, and he came, and he, his body changed everything, and he rose from the grave. And so when we have Christian baptism, that's what it is. John the Baptist, he baptized for repentance, just to repent. He was preparing for this event where Jesus would baptize us in his finished redemptive work. And what is that redemptive work that he did? Very simply, he died on the cross and he rose again from the grave. And just as he did that, those symbols of us going down, being baptizo, the the submersing, the, the put under, and then raising to newness of life, all of that is symbolic of what has already happened to us as we have been baptized. And Colossians goes on and tells us And he says, since then you were raised with Christ, now seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. In verse 5 of Colossians 3, put to your, put to death the members which are on the earth, the fornication, the uncleanness, the passion, the evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And you're to put off all these, verse 8, anger and wrath and malice, blasphemy and filthy language out of your mouth. How many of you had a filthy, rotten mouth before you came to Christ? Thanks, Greg. Appreciate that. He didn't know I was going to do that. He's kind of turning in different colors now. But I did. I had a filthy, rotten mouth, and the Lord took that from me. And other things, too. And he's continuing to sanctify me. Is he sanctifying you? Do you know that he's sanctifying you? Is he giving you the desire, even, to walk in purity and holiness? Isn't it a wonderful thing to walk in purity and to walk in holiness? And we don't have to be self-righteous about that. It's just something that God wants to do. People around you may say, oh, you're holier than thou. You know, let them think what they want because all that means is that they're convicted by your lifestyle. That's what it is. You've got to let that roll off, Christian. You've got to have a height of a rhinoceros if you're going to survive the accusations of the 21st century. And Colossians 12 through 17 also goes on and, and, and it speaks of our conduct. Since we have been raised with Christ, since we have been raised in this Christian baptism, but before we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is going to be next, and the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, we'll look at that in a minute, we have to understand that the Spirit of God did come upon believers so before we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is uh, something that can happen to us subsequent to our being baptized in Christ or water baptism, I wanted to share with you that the Old Testament saints, they didn't have the Spirit of God indwelling them like you and I do. But they did have the Holy Spirit coming upon them at different times to accomplish certain things in Israel's history where they were really needing help. And God used average people that to, to, um, to come upon them. And that's what the Spirit of God would do in the, in the Old Testament. He would come upon them, empowering them for a very specific thing. And then the Holy Spirit would leave. It wouldn't stay upon them. And we see this in the lives in Judges chapter 3, Uh, or excuse me, Judges chapter 6, we see it uh, in Gideon. It says in verse 33, Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But notice, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. 
upon him. And and, and Judges 14, the same thing about Samson. The Spirit of God came mightily upon him at different times. It says that. And then even David in 1 Samuel 16, verse 3, Samuel took the horn of an oil and anointed him in the midst of his other uh, eight brothers or seven brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. So that did happen in the Old Testament. But you and I have this wonderful experience. I hate to even use the word experience, but it does happen and at different times in our life and hopefully it happens as often as the Lord wants to use us to give us power and to magnify the words that we're saying. And that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And again, something only for believers. Notice verse 11 back in our text. It says, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, John said, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. But we're just going to hold off that and fire for a minute because the context will make it clear what it's speaking of. But what about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is a, uh, a second baptism that we can experience as well, apart from Christian or water baptism. And it's when the Holy Spirit of God comes upon us. He's in us already. That's what makes us a Christian. In fact, Peter, I think, said, if, if the Spirit of God does not dwell in you, you are not a Christian. You may go to a Christian church, you may uh, read your Bible, you may do all of these good works, but the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God is not in you, you are none of His. You don't belong to Him if the Spirit of God is not indwelling you. But I need, in addition to the Spirit of God in me, I need Him to come upon me at times for His purposes. I don't have an iPhone app where I can just say, Spirit now, fall upon me Why isn't it working? Is there a bug in the software? I I want him to fall upon me now. Well, why is it that I want him to fall upon me so that I can do some kind of freak show for people? So I can magnify myself? Is that really what it's all about or is it about somebody else? If you look at the times when God baptizes his saints with the spirit of God, it's because he has a plan. And he has a plan to reach someone else. You and I can be completely oblivious to it. And you'll probably know it when the Spirit of God comes upon you because you're going to be lit up. You're going to be excited. You're going to be sharing stuff. You're going to be talking about scriptures are going to be coming to your head that you forgot. And all of a sudden, you're talking to somebody and they're listening. They're really listening. They're like, something dynamic is happening here, but they've got my attention. And that's the Spirit of God giving you the boldness, giving you everything you need for that moment, for that moment. And it's different for everybody. And we can't, I don't have the ability to just turn on a switch. You look in the, in the book of Acts and you'll notice that they were just going about the business of the church and the spirit of God would fall upon them. There was no flipping a switch. But the question I got to ask myself is, do I put myself in positions where God would do that? What does it tell us in the book of Acts? Chapter 1, verse 8, it says, and Jesus speaking says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, this is already after the Spirit of God is in you. Uh, He's speaking to his disciples. They're already born again. But he says, 
You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the other parts of the, of, the, of the world, the uttermost parts. See, this is a dynamic work of God where he empowers and gives us boldness to serve him. And it's something we need to pray for that the Lord would do according to his choosing, not ours. But see, we need this boldness and empowerment today in the world that we live in because for the most part, many Christians are being assimilated into the world and the world system. We're no longer being salt and light. We're no longer willing to share with our neighbors. We're no longer willing to even talk to our family. And there's something wrong with that, folks. And, 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 and there's a dulling in, in, our, in our culture that is just dulling us. It's, it's like we're, we're like this fire and, and the water and everything is pouring water on us and we're allowing it. We're allowing, we're, sometimes we even invite it. We accept these things and it just dulls us we quench the spirit we dull it pretty soon there's there's no witness at all and you know what that's called the laodicean church when the church gets to that place where we have no salt no light no fire in our hearts we're laodicean and it's here i'm not saying necessarily here but it's in the church in America. But we need to revive. I need revival. You need revival. We need to wake. Awaken from our slumber. The things that are coming in our country, I think they're going to wake us up. I have found that sometimes I need a catalyst Sometimes I need something to stir me, something to provoke me, and all of a sudden I get, you know, you know what I'm talking about, you get, you get goaded enough with a stick and pretty soon you're like, okay, okay, wait a minute, I'm, I'm, I'm finally, you know, I'm awake, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> do you ever feel like that? And you're like, okay, I'm, I'm awake, and the Lord's going, okay, do I got your attention? I want you to share I want you to never forget it. Share the gospel. Be faithful to that commission to to go out and to tell people in the byways, in the highways, wherever you go. It it doesn't take a lot of effort to open your mouth. You can be anywhere and still be loving and compassionate and gracious and pray that that God would just fill you with his spirit, that he would fill you. He would come upon you as you go to Wegmans, as you go to work. You know, maybe you're on break and there's somebody who is struggling and their marriage is falling apart. And you say, hey, can I pray for you? It's on your break, right? So the, they can't say, oh, she's, you know, bad, you know. Do it on the break. Say, can I pray for you? Lord, help. You know, Nehemiah did that a lot too. A very simple prayer. Help. Help is a really great prayer. And it's a word I know very well. <laughs> I cry for help often. Every single day, several times a day, I'm crying out, God, help. Help me. I want to be effective for you, but I'm a bonehead. Any, can anybody relate? You don't have to raise your hands. Thank you, Al. Both of these fellows aren't going to be at church next week. They're like, you called me out, bro. I'm not. But this outpouring of the Spirit of God, Joel prophesied it in the Old Testament. He says, and it shall come to pass. And again, this was Old Testament. And what happened on the day of Acts when the Spirit of God was poured out upon the believers was the fulfillment of this 
prophecy in Joel. It says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I shall pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And the spirit of God comes upon believers in the New Testament. We see it in a, a bunch of different places. I'm only going to read two to you because time is running short. In, the, in Acts chapter 1, it says, I'm being assembled together with them. This was after Jesus' resurrection uh, and before his ascension. Being assembled with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power. When the Spirit has come, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Didn't we just read that? And then in Acts chapter 2, the very first four verses, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, and suddenly there came as of a a rushing wind. Notice it wasn't a rushing wind. The Bible uses these similes. Don't get that confused. It, It was the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. It doesn't say that it was fire. Divided tongues over their head as of fire. It looked like fire, but it was tongues. And isn't that exactly what God was going to do? Give them the ability to speak in different languages? Immediately following that, they would go out into all Jerusalem, throughout all the world, and they would be sharing the wonderful works of God in different languages that they didn't pre, you know, uh, previously learn. So this was an act of the Holy Spirit. And there are many other verses, and, and I've written them down here. And by the way, if you, you know, as we go through this today, I would encourage you to listen to this again. As we, as we go through this today, listen to it again and take it slow and go through these things. These notes, these uh, slides that I'm sharing with you are all on our website. They're all on our podcasts. You can look at them while you're listening. But write them down and take time to write because it's important to understand this. Because there is one baptism. If we think of Christian baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, remember I said that they could really be seen as one. There's one baptism, but there's many fillings. And you see that in these verses here. They were baptized. But there were many fillings. In Ephesians, what does it tell us? There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, and in South Florida, they would say, and in y'all. Okay? What does it tell us in Corinthians? For as the body is one and has many members, for all the members of that one body being many are one, so is also Christ. For by one spirit we were baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, all have been made to drink into the same spirit. So finally, we, you know, we've looked at uh, the baptism of John the Baptist, the baptism of repentance. We've looked at Christian baptism, which is the baptism that we experience and go through 
identifying with the, the, the full redemptive work of what Christ did on the cross in his death and in his resurrection, and that's symbolic as we go under. We looked at also at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, of the Spirit coming upon us subsequent to conversion, even substitute to being physically baptized. It could happen many times. You see it in the, in the book of Acts, the Spirit of God falling upon them. The Spirit of God falling upon them. The Spirit of God coming upon them. And now we come to this, uh, the baptism of fire, which is not for us. Aren't you glad? Remember when in, in verse, what was it? Um, in verse 11 it says, Jesus, uh, it says, uh, John the Baptist says, But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, John is speaking of two different things and two different groups of people here. And we know that because of the context uh, of what is written. Uh, in fact, the phrase and fire is not even in the original Greek for this passage. In many of the Greek manuscripts, the phrase and fire is not there. However, it is in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, unequivocally. So we can't avoid it at all. And Lucas says, Jesus, or John answered saying, I indeed baptize you with water, but one is mightier, etc., etc. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So this baptism of the Holy Spirit refers to, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit refers to believers, and then, and, that, and that's at Christ's first advent. When he first came, he gave us the baptism of, of the Holy Spirit. But there's also coming a baptism of fire for unbelievers. And it's important to notice the difference. Because you and I, you know, if we were in John's day, we could be baptized in John's baptism. Many were. And then they were baptized into Christ. And then they were baptized by the Holy Spirit to empower them for service. But only an unbeliever can be baptized with fire. With fire. The baptism with fire refers to judgments on unbelievers in at least a couple different places. In the great tribulation period, which is yet future to us. We looked at that when we were in the book of Revelation. It can also refer to Matthew chapter 25, where when Jesus comes and, and begins his thousand-year reign in the millennium, at the very beginning of that millennium, Matthew 25 tells us, verse 31 through 46, that there will be a separation of the sheep and the goats, the, the judgment of nations, those nations that were faithful and that uh, believed in Christ and, that they, and they supported the Jewish people, those were the sheep and they would be gathered and they would be separated from the goats, one on the right hand and one on the, on the left hand. And the one on the right hand, they would go and they would be able to go into the millennium. But those on the left hand, those unbelievers, they were cast into the lake of fire. That was a judgment, a baptism of fire. And finally and ultimately in Revelation chapter 20, the, the verse that none of us like to read and is very painful but it's, it's important at the great white throne judgment. The devil, the false prophet, the antichrist, all those who have followed him, everyone in death and Hades, they were all cast into the lake of fire which burns forever and ever and they will receive a body that can withstand the flames of that torment and it will last forever. I would say that's a baptism of fire. Don't get this confused with Pentecost. 
Because notice the very next verse in chapter, in verse 12 there. It gives us the context, and that's really important. What does it say? His winnowing fan is in his hand. When you read verse 11, read it and go on to verse 12, and it makes sense. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and, and fire. Some of those in that group would be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and others later would be baptized with fire. And he qualifies it in context by saying, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge or clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. Notice, but, circle that, he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That speaks of something completely different, something that I'm glad that I'm not going to experience. And as a believer in Christ, you will not either. But see, we have to warn people that this is their fate if they choose to reject Christ. Yes, it's true. And that's the thing that we don't want to tell them. But they must be told. We want to tell them, oh, God is good to you. God's going to bless you. He wants to just, he wants to put a blanket around you and love you. And it's like a, you know, like a cold winter night in front of the fireplace with your cat and your hot cocoa. If, if that's all we do, we failed. That's only the, the best part. Who wouldn't want that? Ah, but we have to tell them something different. We have to tell them the bad news before the gospel has any effect. We have to tell them the bad news because the good news is coming for those who receive him. God is a judge. He's a great judge. And for those of us, he will not, for God has not appointed us, his believers, to wrath, but to obtain what? Salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. We will not see that judgment, but for an unbeliever, and this is why we have to warn people, you cannot and you should not and don't remove the teeth from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The moment we do that, we're teaching a false gospel. But there appears to be a clear distinction between those who are baptized with the Holy Spirit and those who are baptized with fire. And Acts 1 verse 5 makes this abundantly clear. You know, and um, we, we'll, we'll look at that really quick. Uh, and being assembled together with them, we read this uh, just moments ago. Jesus speaking, he says, but he says, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. If he meant it to be and fire, he would have said it. But he's speaking to believers. And he's saying, you're going to be baptized with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Notice he didn't say and fire. Because John the Baptist, in his audience, he was saying to them, some of you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus comes, but some of you will be baptized with fire. And the context of verse 12 in our uh, passage today qualifies that. In context, what he meant by that. Because he's going to take those who have been baptized, those who are Christ, are going to be gathered to the barn. They're going to be safe. They're going to be saved. But then there's going to be the chaff from the winnowing of the wheat. The good stuff, the grain, is going to be taken into the barn. But the chaff and the useless stuff, that's going to be gathered together and burned. And yes, he's talking about people here. Eternal.
But the context of this passage is clearly those who are saved and then those who are not, who will be burned with unquenchable fire. And this judgment of being baptized with fire will come, like I said before, in at least three different events, yet future. Now remember, this is not for believers, but for unbelievers. And what is the first one? The judgment during the great tribulation period. There's going to be those who will be baptized with fire during this time. In Revelation 8, verse 7, when it speaks of the first trumpet judgment, what does it say? The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. They are literally going to be baptized with fire from heaven. And a third of the trees were burned up, and even grass was burned up. In Revelation 8, verses 8 and 9, during the second trumpet, a similar thing happened, that the second angel sounded, something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and the third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed in revelation 8 verse 10 during the third trumpet judgment the angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and of the springs of water in revelation 16 the fourth bowl is poured out upon the earth and what is this ha- what is happening during that time are believers on the earth during the great tribulation period no, no, no there, there may be believers, but the church has been removed prior to that. There may be people who get saved during that time, but for the most part, this is God's pouring out his wrath upon a world that has rejected his only means of salvation. That's what the Bible says. And so what does this finally tell us in Revelation 16? It says, then the third... The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and the power was given him to scorch men with fire. They were being baptized with fire. Unbelievers. And men were scorched with great heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. And notice, and they did not repent and give him glory. I don't know about you, but I respond to pain really well. (laughs) When the Lord wants to get my attention, all he's got to do is do something physically to me and I cry uncle really quick because I'm a wimp. It doesn't take very long for me to, to, to say uncle. It doesn't take long. But the wicked during the great tribulation, they will die physically in judgment, but they will also spend an eternity in the lake of fire. And it tells us that in the Bible as well. But there's also a, a baptism of fire during the judgment of nations. Again, Jesus, when he returns with the church, one of the first things he's going to do in the millennium, the thousand year reign of Christ on the earth, yet future to us, is he's going to separate the nations. It's called, you may have heard it, the, the sheep and the goats. Notice with me in Matthew 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, which includes us, and he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them uh, one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on the right hand, come, you blessed of my father, 
Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then they're going to say, when did we do all these things, Lord? And and he will answer and say, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren. Who is he speaking of when Jesus, being a Jew, says, my brethren? He's speaking of the Jews. When you've done it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. But notice, he's also going to say to those who have been separated, and these are people, these are nations. And nations are what? A group of people together. They're going to be separated as well. And what is he going to say to those on his left? Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, etc., etc. And then they will also say, Lord, when did we not do these things to you? And then he will say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternity eternal life. Do you see that? So this baptism of fire is for unbelievers. First, at the, here in, 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 the, in the great tribulation period, and then at the beginning of the millennium, and then finally, the baptism of the great white throne, because that's the ultimate baptism of fire. It says, and I saw a great white throne and him, and you've heard this before, but I'm going to read it again. I saw a great white throne, John tells us in Revelation 20, verse 11, and he who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and books were opened. And this is the final judgment. You and I at this time that we're reading about have already uh, been to the Bema Seat judgment. We've received rewards we're, we're, everything is good, we're fine. We're safe in the barn, if you will. <laughs> but there's coming a final destination for the wicked. Right now, when people die, they go, if they're unbelievers, they go to hell. And for a believer, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and we go to him. Right? But, so we, or somebody who dies, and an unbeliever, they go to hell, and notice what it says here. This is interesting. It says, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and notice, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which that were written in the books. Does God take a record of the bad things that you've done? If you're an unbeliever, everything you've ever done wrong is written in that book. Because one day, if you don't repent of your sin, you will stand before him at this great white throne, and he will open the books. He has a book and several other books, and in one instant he can tell you everything that you've ever done, that you've denied him and you've rejected him and you've lived your own sinful way. And why does he do that? To rub your nose in it? No, because he's a good judge. And before a judge sentences you, you have to know what you're guilty of. When he sentences you, there's going to be no one saying, I didn't have an opportunity. And Lord, you're mistaken. That's not right. No, it's all written and notice what he goes on and he says, the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. The sea, notice, gave up the dead who were in it. And notice this, and death and Hades, those who go to hell even right now is a temporary place. 
Because death and Hades, what does it say? Delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. And then notice verse 14, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. A baptism of fire. An unbeliever. So where are you? You know, let me bring up this, this slide. You know, the, this morning we've been looking at these different baptisms. Jesus even went, and we'll look at this next week. Why did Jesus go undergo the baptism of John the Baptist? It was a baptism of repentance. Was Jesus, was it necessary for him to be baptized? No, we'll talk more about that next week. But now when we are baptized, Romans 6 tells us this, that when, we, when, we're, when we're water baptized, we're baptized into Christ. In the finished work of his, his redemptive work that he accomplished on the cross. And symbolically, we go down identifying in his death, the old man dying and rising to new life. That's why when we come up out of the water, that's symbolic of Jesus rising from the grave. Romans 6, we read that. It looked, we looked into that. And then the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Subsequent to conversion, subsequent even to the baptism of, you know, Christian baptism, water baptism. And then the one that won't touch us, if you're a believer, is the baptism of fire. That's reserved for unbelievers. So if you're an unbeliever here today, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. Come to Jesus. It's the best thing going. It is really, truly remarkable that God, while we were yet sinners, he died for us and he loves you. Do you think that he wants you to go to this, to experience this baptism of fire? He does not. The God does not delight in the death of the wicked. It is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to what? To repentance. He doesn't want anybody to go there. But listen, he doesn't send you there. You choose to go there. You are in control so to speak, of your own destiny. He's not going to force you. You know, if I'm starving and I'm really hungry and somebody offers me a, a nice filet mignon and a baked potato and I'm really hungry, I would just sit down and eat and say thank you. It's a gift. But when we refuse Christ, it's like this. You're starving, there's a whole buffet in front of you, and you're, no, I'm not going to do it. Fool. Fool. That's what the Bible calls people who do not believe in Christ, fools. The fool has said in his heart, no, God, I don't want anything to do with you. I want to do, I'm going to get there by my own works. I went to Catholic school, I went to this, I did this, I gave all my money to the church, and I deserve this. And God says, you don't deserve anything. We don't deserve heaven. It's by the blood of Christ. That's the only way that I'm getting to heaven is his finished redemptive work on the cross. And him, when he rose from the grave, he defeated death, conquering it. And now we put our faith in him. For God so loved the world that, he, that whosoever believes in him and all that he did would not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that not the gospel? 
And see, that's the truth, and it's open for anybody. Have you made that decision? I pray that you do, because God is a God of love. He's not a God of death. Satan is a God of death, but God is a God of love and compassion, and he loves you so much. He loves you so much. You know, it's hard to, to share a message like this because people are turned off by the fact that God would allow somebody to, to go to hell and to burn forever in a body that can withstand where the, the flame burns not and the worm dies not. It's everlasting. I can't believe in a God who would do that. Well, would you believe in a God who loves you so much that he did everything for you and all you have to do is believe in him? Well, now that you say it, that sounds pretty good because it is. It's wonderful. You must be born again. Give your heart to Christ. And for those of us who've been saved a while, sometimes I just need to be cranked up a little bit. Do you need a a tune-up? I hope you got a tune-up this morning to encourage you to stay in the fight, stay in the battle. If you're feeling the battle, it's because you are in the battle. And, you know, if I'm not feeling the battle, chances are I've disqualified myself and I'm sitting up on a ledge somewhere and I've decided to take it easy rather than get in God's game. Because God's game is going after people because they need to know him. They need to know his great love for them. And when you do, you will sense the battle, trust me. But we are not to fear that battle because he is with us. Didn't the psalmist David say, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. God is with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Doesn't that put, now, remember in the beginning of the service, I had you all smile? One, two, three. Yes, we've heard some bad news, but most of it's pretty good news. But see, that last one doesn't belong to you and me. But the middle two, yeah. I want to encourage you this week, or I'm sorry, not this week, but um, not even this month. Where am I going? Um, Sometime in August, we're going to have our baptism picnic. And we'll announce that soon. If you haven't been baptized Maybe you've been a believer for a long time and maybe you haven't been baptized. Would you consider being baptized? Is it necessary for salvation? Are you going to go to hell because you don't get baptized? No, I don't believe that for a minute. Jesus said, he who believes, he who is baptized, believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who believes not will be condemned. So it's not the baptism It's not the work of that that's going to get you to heaven. It's your belief in Christ. But if you haven't been baptized, would you pray about being baptized this summer? Send us an email, office at calvaryrochester.com. Come see us after the service. We'll talk about it and, 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 and get baptized. Come into agreement with what God has done for you. And it's a public display, isn't it? That's why we try to get as many people, family, friends to come and witness They need to see that witness in you. And it also holds you accountable, doesn't it? Because if I, remember we read that in Colossians? Since I've been raised from the dead, you know, since I've been raised in Christ, how ought to I live then? So even as I have a bunch of witnesses seeing me physically go through the rite of baptism, I'm accountable to them. 
I'm going to live a life the best I can. I'm not perfect. I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm going to live a life that hopefully represents the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I want to live that life, don't you? And then they will see it, and they're like, you know what? I want that too. I want that life. I'm a mess, and I need whatever you've got. I I need that. See, that's what God wants for us. Would you pray about that and get baptized if you haven't been baptized? Let's stand and let's pray. Next week, we'll, uh, we'll get into the baptism of Christ. And yes, yes, Jesus even went through the baptism of repentance under John to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus, who was not only our king of kings, who was not only a prophet, but he was also what? He was our high priest. And a high priest does things according to the rules. And he identified himself with us in our fallen nature. And he went through it even though he was the only one in the world who didn't need to go through this baptism. But he did it and he told John to fulfill all righteousness. We'll look at that. So Father, we just thank you for this time together. Lord, I pray that you bless my brothers and sisters. And Lord, encourage them and strengthen their faith along with mine, Lord. We live in a very desperate time, God. And we pray... Lord, uh, for each of us, Lord. Many of us in this room are born again. Many of us have even been physically baptized. But Lord, we pray for the baptism of your spirit. Lord, it's so necessary for us to live today. Would you please, Lord, make us willing to, to, and Lord, you do it whenever you want. We want to be open to you, Lord, but give us a heart to be out and about and wherever we're at, Lord, not to just be going through our list of things, but to be open and be willing to be inconvenienced to reach somebody else and then light us up, God. Baptize us with your spirit. Use us in power and for your glory alone, not our anything else. So we love you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen?